Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about uh, incomes and property price growth. Uh, You see, commentators often refer to uh, price of property in Australia relative to household incomes. And they highlight that property prices have grown at a rate uh, two or three times faster than what household incomes have grown. And they conclude that property growth cannot uh, exceed household income growth perpetually, uh, which of course at a macro level, you know, no one can really argue with mathematically. Uh, It has to level out at some point. Now I've written about previously the things that I think have uh, contributed a lot to property price growth over the last 30 or 40 years uh, and there's a link to that blog in the show notes and uh, on the blog on the website of course uh, and you know the main contributors really or a really large contributor has been borrowing capacity, uh, re- de- de- deregulation of the banking industry which create a lot of competition uh, and therefore the in- also the internet you know kind of advertising to people or educating people about uh, you know, investing in property and, and borrowing capacities and these sorts of things. Uh, and I think that they've contributed a substantial amount uh, to property price growth because really, uh, whilst your income might have not changed in real terms over the last 30 years, your borrowing capacity certainly has. Uh, and that, that has a, a, obviously a positive impact on, on prices. Um, but I, I don't think a lot of these things that have contributed towards uh, property price growth over the last 30 years except for perhaps uh, population growth, uh, I don't think they'll be present for the next 30 years. So, And certainly from a borrowing capacity perspective, you know, I think that's either going to stay steady, um, but it's certainly not going to uh, have the same sort of increase over the next 30 years as it has been over the last 30 years. But in any case, the commentary around income growth and property price growth, again, might make for interesting com- conversation at a macro level, uh, but I think it is far less relevant to people that are willing to invest in investment-grade property. And my thesis is that you should invest in locations that attract the wealthiest 20% of Australians. And if you do that, you're likely to enjoy above-average capital growth over very long periods of time. Now, let's talk about wealth inequality. I mean, wealth inequality really means the rich get richer and unfortunately, the poor get poorer in both real and relative senses of the word. Uh, it makes escaping poverty uh, a lot more difficult. Uh, it robs people of opportunities. Uh, and really, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Wealth inequality is a terrible thing, uh, particularly if it's getting worse and worse, which it, it certainly is in most developed uh, countries around the world. And Australia is not an exception to that. Uh, I charted, in fact, the um, the extent of wealth inequality uh, in Australia using 2021 data, and it shows that the wealthiest 20% of Australians own 73% of total net personal wealth. Um, so it's almost the 80-20 rule. You know, it's almost 20% control, 80% of the wealth. Uh, and as I said, it gets worse each and every year. Uh, and it would be lovely to think that, you know, Australia is going to do something to uh, apprehend the tide of wealth inequality. But I think, unfortunately, that's really unlikely. And wealth inequality is uh, likely to get worse, not better. And if we think about more more recently, for example, COVID really exacerbated it. You know, higher income earners 
were typically able to continue working from home. Uh, they enjoyed uh, almost zero interest rates, zero cash rate, of course, uh, and uh, a greater capacity to be able to save. Uh, whereas lower income earners, you know, tend to have lost their income. You know, the businesses were closed, and now they've got to deal with higher interest rates and higher inflation, uh, which really again just makes the poor poorer and the rich uh, rich richer. Because uh, higher inflation uh, is far less of a problem if you've got a very high income or you have substantial wealth. Now, putting aside the societal or humanitarian considerations of wealth inequality, which are, of course, significant, I don't mean to um, diminish them whatsoever, but really if we're talking about making investment decisions, I think it's really prudent to uh, make those investment decisions based on the premise that wealth inequality is likely to get worse, not better. Uh, And if that's true, then uh, property price growth in blue-chip locations that really attract the wealthiest 20% of Australians will likely materially exceed you know, outer suburbs that don't attract, you know, that attract the, the remaining 80% of Australians, if you like. So what does that mean? Does that mean you should go and uh, look at all the stats and invest in the suburbs where the uh, occupants have a above average uh, income compared, you know, based on uh, ABS data and so forth? Well, that would be logical, right? It would be logical to skew your investments towards areas where there are a lot more higher income earners because they're going to start pushing up uh, prices and so forth. Well, I read a, a very interesting article by Jeremy Shepard, uh, which he's a data analyst, uh, and he sort of highlighted some of the shortcomings of relying on that data. Uh, and I think, you know, investing's not just about, you know, data and looking at data and these sorts of things. And I've written previously that investing in property requires an approach that's almost equal parts art and science. The science element relates to the data and the analysis, all the sort of objective considerations. However, relying on data and analysis alone is too risky because not all data is reliable, nor is it meaningful. You know, data can be out of date or not representative of the fact that you're trying the factor that you're trying to measure, and so it's only kind of half the picture. Whereas the art element is the property know-how, you know, including understanding the market, what buyers are looking for in a particular location, being expert in a geographical location, and so on. It's all the subjective matters. So, for example, sometimes there's no objective reason why some streets in in otherwise great suburbs perennially underperform you know sometimes it's that way just because it's been that way for many years and there's no rhyme or 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 logic to it Uh, it's just that knowledge and know-how that's the art element the subjective elements and it's equally as important as the objective so really investors need to have a balance a perfect balance if you like between objective and subjective considerations when selecting which property to to invest in Um, And it's not that income is not important, uh, it's just that it's not always representative in the data and there's some constraints around it. And so that's why being too data-driven is going to invite you to end up making an asset selection mistake. Now, of course, in a rising tide, all ships rise. Therefore, if you invest in a buoyant market, you know, in a buoyant market, most properties tend to rise in value almost irrespective of their location. However, of course, we know that we're investing for the long term uh, and we know in the long run, the location will drive the returns 
uh, rather than the market per se. That is the underlying quality of any investment, you know, is one of the biggest determinants of, you know, future long-term returns. And so we know that if we're going to invest in an area that attracts the wealthiest 20% of Australians, that that cohort uh, has a lot of resources to continue to pay more to be able to own property and live in that particular location. See, the wealthiest 20% either have above average incomes, uh, they could be asset rich, or or then they'll eventually uh, benefit from uh, what I've written about and spoken about previously, the inheritance tsunami Uh, that's coming our way over the next uh, few decades. Either way, they're in a position where interest rates don't make as big a deal, that inflation uh, doesn't have as big an impact on their financial decision-making, and they're really in a position where they can push prices higher over time. Uh, Now, wealth inequality, we know it's it's not going to be a a trend that's going to abate at any time soon. And so my thesis is that you must consider that when making uh, investment decisions. Uh, So that's it for me this week. A bit of a shorter one for this week. So I hope you appreciate that. You don't need to listen to me prattle on too much. Uh, And until next week, bye for now.